Welcome into a special Sunday edition of the Commitment Issues podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined via Zencaster uh, by Benjamin Walk. He covers Auburn for our rivals at the AuburnSports.com. Ben, how you doing this morning? I'm great, Woody. Thanks for having me. Now I'm going to alternate between calling you. Now tell me, do, do, does anyone call you Ben, or is it just me? No, pretty much everyone calls me Ben. So yeah, okay. you're good. But Benjamin just sounds more professional. I guess so. I, I mean, it, I've honestly, my bylines at Rivals, I've just been going by Ben, which is I've never done before. So I think that I've maybe resorted to just moving to Ben full time now. Well, you, you might have to cut off that ponytail of yours if that's the case. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, before Ben came to work at Rivals, he worked at uh, SEC Country. He's been covering Auburn for a few years now. How long? Probably two or three years? Yeah, this will be my fourth recruiting cycle that I've been around for. Oh, wow. So, I mean, he 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 uh, ran Ali Davison out of the business, and uh, he's, he's here to stay with us at Rivals, hopefully. So, you were... At the Auburn LSU game yesterday, we are continuing our weekly tradition of having someone who covers the losing team on the show, even though I schedule all these interviews ahead of time. Uh, let's talk about the game. Auburn fell behind early. Then they really took control, and I was expecting them to kind of uh, you know, be on take control and almost, almost blow it out, cover that 10.5-point spread. And then next thing you know, uh, LSU storms back. They end up getting the victory. So you you shoot photos on the field, I think. So so tell us what was it like, and just give us your uh, overall review of what happened. Yeah, it was just a weird game. I mean, I, I guess this Auburn LSU game generally is. I mean, it has been in a big way the last two years, and then it was again yesterday. But they're just. Ne- I mean, obviously early on, Auburn came out pretty sluggish. They weren't moving the ball very well offensively. But there came a point there in the second half where. I just sort of felt like Auburn was going to put it away. I mean, it looked similar to a lot of SEC wins that Auburn had had the last couple of years, including, you know, those wins against Alabama and Georgia where they got ahead there in the second half and that they would just put their foot on the gas. But instead, they sort of resorted back to what they'd been doing, you know, last year against LSU, and they got conservative there in the second half. They got up 21-10, and then they kind of had an uncharacteristic – uh, you know, giving up a 70-plus yard touchdown on the long touchdown pass. It's the first 70-plus yard uh, play that they'd given up defensively since their loss to Texas A&M two years ago when Travion Williams had a 89-yard touchdown run. And I guess it was sort of in that moment it was like, okay, Auburn might actually find a way to screw this one up. And, you know, they ended up stopping the two-point conversion and then – once again, just sort of stalling offensively and a couple of defensive pass interference penalties and just some execution on LSU's part set them up for the game-winning field goal. And, man, I've you know, Jordan, Jordan Hare's one of the louder stadiums out there, and it was dead silent yesterday afternoon. So I haven't been on the message board on the old bunker there at Auburn Sports to, to check it out. But I, I know that when I was at the Washington game here in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, you know, the persistent talk in the press box was that Gus Malzahn's play calling becomes predictable in the second half. And that's been a consistent theme. Uh, are the fans spinning that narrative? And is that something that you buy into? Is you think that's why Auburn has had, has struggled probably over the last, I guess, you know, losing to Georgia in the SEC title game and then losing to UCF and now losing to LSU, probably three of their last four major games, they've, they've sort of stumbled in the second half and, or just had issues in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't totally buy into this idea that Gus Malzahn just gets so conservative that Auburn is definitely, you know, is going to lose games that they shouldn't lose. I mean, I think that 
that has happened the last two years against against LSU, and there's no denying that. I mean, last year they ran it 17 straight times on first down at one point during the game, and then you know yesterday they got themselves there in the late third quarter into the fourth quarter or in, into the fourth quarter they had four straight possessions where they ran the ball or had short screen passes on first and second down and got themselves in third and eight or longer. I mean, their last four drives of the game all ended up in third and long situations, and that's just not going to cut it against LSU's defense. I mean, I think that one thing that LSU showed yesterday is they have a defense that is going to keep them in games, and if they have, you know, if Joe Burrow can, you know, make a play or you look at Brissett and he can make a play, LSU is going to be competitive in games just because of what they have defensively. And Auburn just let them hang around a little bit too long. And it's just so weird because that was the whole talk going into this week. If Auburn gets, you know, gets a lead against LSU, they at least have last year's storyline to look back on and say, all right, can't let that happen. You can't blow a lead against LSU. You can't let them stick around in the game. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that's where the frustration from Auburn's fan base most mostly stems from is just the fact that they just witnessed something like this happen last year, and it's inexcusable for something like that to happen again this year, especially it being at home. Yeah, it's interesting to me because now do you feel – I noticed this, okay, when Chip Kelly left Oregon in the last two or three years that the you know the classic up-tempo offense, you know, breakneck speed started to slow down. Like you didn't necessarily see the same type of tempo. Now the theory under Gus Malzahn was – we're running this fast offense. The team, the the opposition, is supposed to get worn down in the second half, and that's where you know maybe running the same play two or three times in a row doesn't hurt. Do, do you feel like they play as fast as they used to? Have I haven't looked at the stats or anything. I just feel like maybe Auburn doesn't necessarily play at that tempo that they once did. You know, maybe six or seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like they're taking a little little bit of a different approach, and I don't know how much. I mean, yesterday they you know ran 66 offensive plays and LSU ran 77. So, I mean, it was not a super fast-paced game that was going on. Um, you know, I think that it might be a byproduct of Chip Lindsey taking over a little bit, and I think he likes to take a slightly slower pace than Gus Malzahn does. But, though, if you watch you know Gus Malzahn on the sideline, as he's sort of given over these play-calling responsibilities to Chip Lindsey, you see him very regularly getting pretty animated you know, rolling his fingers saying, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's try and get this thing up tempo. So I think there are certainly times that Auburn probably has slowed down a little bit, not necessarily to Gus Malzahn's liking. And I think that that's just a battle that you're going to have when Gus Malzahn's your head coach and you have an offensive play caller like Chip Lindsey, who Gus Malzahn trusts, but he also is still a control freak and he's still going to want things done the way that he's done. And I think that you see some of that power balance happening mid-game sometimes, and it's just something that they've got to work through. But I think you're exactly right. As the game is sort of, as a whole, is sort of caught up to the up-tempo style, I think that maybe Auburn has slowed down a little bit. All right, so give your outsider opinion on LSU. I personally, <laughs> I personally still am cautious of LSU. They're 3-0. and They won two huge games. You can't take anything of that away from them. But I, I didn't leave that game – you know, I don't know. I didn't leave that game feeling like this is a team that's going to make the college football playoff or is going to beat Alabama. Obviously, their defense, you know, is 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 very talented. Uh, especially the linebackers made a ton of plays. I just don't feel like they're on that. They're quite on that level yet. What do you think? Did you, you were down on the field level? You got a chance to see him. You obviously got to see Washington up close. What where do you think the Tigers stack in terms of being a legit playoff contender? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you because, I mean, again, until that final drive where, you know, there were a couple of defensive pass interference penalties and LSU got in position to kick the field goal, I never really thought that Auburn was going to lose that game. It just felt like Auburn was going to find a way to, in my, you know, from my vantage point, they were going to find a way to soundly beat them, probably cover the spread. And then that obviously switches in a major direction there. So, you know, I'm not totally bought into LSU yet. You know, I look at Joe Burrow's stat line. He was still 15 of 34. Um, You know, didn't throw a turnover. LSU still hasn't turned the ball over yet this year. So, I mean, I guess if you look at a team that plays really sound defense and they don't turn the ball over, I mean, that's a pretty good recipe to win a lot of football games. But when you look at Joe Burrow specifically, the completion percentage, I think it it just sort of is what Joe Burrow is. Uh, They completed the long 71-yard touchdown pass that obviously – inflated his passing numbers a little bit uh but you know i just need to see more from lsu before i can really buy into them as a true playoff contender or sec west contender because you know i it's you know sounds stupid saying this the day after a team goes into jordan hare stadium and beats auburn but i still view auburn more favorably than i view lsu despite what happened yesterday um but obviously, you know, you got to tip your cap to LSU and what they've been able to do, given the narrative around LSU coming into the season, what they did to Miami week one, and then their ability to, you know, show, you know, they bounce back in a big way. I mean, there's not many teams that can come back from 11 down on the road in the SEC and win a football game. So, you know, you got to tip your cap to them for that. Right. And that obviously the win against Miami, you have to factor in as well. Just kind of there has been several teams over the years where I haven't thought they were good. You know, even the the team that Auburn won the national championship with Cam Newton, I I remember thinking like, oh, they're just you know they only have Cam and I think and Nick Fairley and they're going to eventually lose. And guess what? They never did. Uh, And the whole year they kind of you know ran along. They ended up coming back against Alabama, and then obviously they they won the national championship. So they get the. But then the other team I felt like that about was Florida State the year that. the year after they won the national championship when they went to the play, I think it was the first year of the college football playoff. And that was the game where Oregon beat him. And famously Jameis had that one play that you see on Twitter all the time of him falling and fumbling the ball. Yeah. So you, you never know. I'm still cautious. Sorry, LSU fans. I'm still, I'm still a little nervous. So, uh, all right, let's, let's get into the rest of the games. We'll go sort of rapid fire here. Uh, I don't know how many you got a chance to see. Oh, by the way, before we move on, you you didn't watch the game on TV, but it was a Joe Burrow love fest. I mean, Gary Danielson, my my lord, you would have think he was watching uh, Tom Brady out there. He he was loving it every minute of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a coach's son. I can understand why people are all about him. It's just I can't get past the completion percentage numbers, man. Like I know that that's all. You know, he had the yards. He's not turning the ball over. I just can't get over those completion percentage numbers, though. It probably helps the uh, you know the announcer's case, uh, the broadcaster's case when Jarrett Sidham has you know one of his worst performances that he's had at Auburn as well. Yeah, well, G- Gary said at one point, you know, anybody can have a bad day, but you know, to, to battle back after because I think he went six for twenty at one point, and then he might have hit that long pass, which I thought was when that pass left his hands, I thought it was going to be intercepted. Oh no sure. doubt. I mean, I was right. You know, I think the the catch happened at about like the 45 and I was standing taking photos at about like the 38 or 39. It was right there. And Deshaun Davis, I mean, you know, great player. He's about five, eight, five, nine. So he probably wishes he was about five eleven on that play. Um, and then Daniel Thomas just got a little bit out of position there for Auburn and allowed that play. Just very uncharacteristic of that Kevin Steele defense. Just not something that we've seen, seen much of the last two years, three years, really. 
So, so Jay Tate likes, lets you take photos. I thought, you know, I thought he was the photo master. He he is the photo master. I don't know why he lets me do it. I mean, I guess he just wants to be up in the press box now. He doesn't want to have to be working as much. I mean, I can't blame him. Yesterday was miserable down there on the field during the game. It was so hot. <laughs> All right, moving on. Alabama Ole Miss. This one started out 7 nothing. Ole Miss had a touchdown on the first play of the game, and uh, unfortunately that was it for them as they lose 62-7. to uh, Alabama just rolled through them. They had 49 points at halftime. I said to Nick Kruger, who actually contributed to us starting slow on this podcast, he said, do you think I should take the over on the game? And I said – no, I said, uh, he said, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'll take the old Miss over instead. And I said, I said, Alabama's going to score on every position in the first half. And he was like, oh, well, their first half number is only 28 and a half. And uh, sure enough, they score 49 in the first half. And they didn't score on every possession because I think they fumbled once. But uh, did you check in on this game at all? I mean, it was Ole Miss's defense is terrible. And Alabama's defense, I, I, I expected Ole Miss to be able to score at least 21 points on them, completely shut them down. Yeah, I mean, this game, uh, it just furthers my belief that I don't know if there's a team in college football right now that can beat Alabama with two at quarterback. Uh, I mean, they just are so sound offensively, and then for them to hold Ole Miss that, you know, looks really – I mean, obviously they played Texas Tech and scored 47, so it's hard to know, you know, how good the offense truly is. But, I, you know, I expected them to score more than seven points, and I'm looking at it now that over on the game did not hit, so that was a good call on your part. Yeah, just 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 got under. I think it was at seventy or seventy and a half. So uh, interesting enough, Alabama has yet to have one of these running backs truly emerge. I guess we're quoted nitpicking, but you would think in a game like yesterday where they scored sixty two points, they would have had a hundred yard rusher. But Damian Harris only got five carries. Uh, Najee only got nine. Seems like they're taking a uh, they're definitely taking a running back by committee approach. But do you think there's going to come a point where? they need to be more effective running the ball? You know, I think so. I mean, I think that it's so different than what we're used to with Alabama just because they've never really had a passer or a playmaker at the quarterback position the way that they do right now. Um, But, yeah, you'd think there would be a point in time where Damian Harris or Najee Harris would step up and become that, you know, go-to feature guy. I think they're in a little bit of a predicament there just because Najee's probably the more, you know, capable athletic of the two backs but Damian's obviously got that you know veteran poise that Nick Saban really likes probably some of the same things that kept him from starting two over Jalen for such a long time as he just likes to trust and rely on some of those older guys but you know I, I've yet to see Najee Harris really have that I know he played well a week ago but I've yet to see him have that one true breakout game that I've sort of been expecting you know him to have at Alabama so I, you know I think that time will come uh, all right, moving on. A big shout to Mac Jones who completed his first college yeah, pass yesterday. Uh, Mac has been a guest on this podcast before, so we got to give him uh, some love if if he eventually ever becomes a, a starter at, at some school, some some place. Maybe we'll have him on again. Uh, moving on, number two, uh, Clemson. They went thirty eight to seven. This game was kind of a slog. It was zero to zero after the first quarter, and then uh, the greatest football player uh, who ever lived came into the game, Trevor Lawrence. And he got the offense moving. Uh, Kelly Bryant got banged up, but then he did come back. 
Uh, Chase Bryce also, boy, this is a podcast appearance special as Trevor and Chase have both been on the show as well. Uh, Chase got into the game late through a couple passes. I, 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 uh, I had suggested the over or the, excuse me, the under on this game as well. And, uh, Chase was coming in running the no huddle offense. I thought for sure for a second there, he's going to push it over, but I continue to think that this team's better with Trevor Lawrence playing, uh, and maybe it should go to 80% Trevor, 20%. Uh, Kelly, you have an opinion on that, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I've seen Trevor enough at the high school level and then now at Clemson to feel like he's clearly the starter. I feel like Clemson's finding themselves in a similar situation that they were in. I guess it was 2013, 2014 maybe when they had Deshaun Watson as a freshman, but they were still playing Cole Stout there through the first couple weeks of the season, even though you know Deshaun Watson came into that Georgia game early in that year and you know led two touchdown drives and it seemed obvious to me just as a, you know, sort of a bystander and not knowing bystander, oh, Deshaun Watson's clearly the guy. And it took him a while to figure that out. To me, Trevor Lawrence is clearly the guy. Um, but, you know, again, it's hard for coaches sometimes to get over that freshman hump when they have a guy like Kelly Bryant who's taken him to a playoff and is still successful. It's not like Kelly Bryant comes in and is, is I mean, his statistics obviously yesterday weren't very impressive, but you, you know, He's a guy that you can trust, but I just feel like Trevor Lawrence at some point, you know, Dabo is going to have to make that move and just go to Trevor full time. It's crazy. You look at uh, you look at Clemson's stat box here. You had a five star lead him in. You had a five star lead him in passing, receiving, uh, and tackles. So I mean, you know, this is not the little engine that could anymore. As they got five stars all over the field. Well, get, Brian obviously played well last week, but I, I still think. The move is to have Trevor uh, lead the way and have uh, Kelly Bryant come in and situational, you know, when you want him to, to do some running. So we'll see how that continues to play out. Georgia, they just destroyed uh, MTSU 49 to 7. Speaking of five stars, there were guys all over the field. Justin Fields got in and made some plays. Uh, we don't, you got anything to say about this one? Georgia's, Georgia's rolling. I expect them uh, now. I just love Miko Hardman. I think Miko Hardman is one of the best playmakers in the country. Um, I don't think he gets a ton of love on this Georgia team just because everyone likes to talk about the quarterbacks and the running backs, but I think Miko Hardman might be the difference maker for Georgia this year. Yeah, just think they wasted a – I will bring this up every time. They wasted a year of el- his eligibility of him trying to become a defensive back. I was talking with someone about that yesterday. I was like – you know, someone asked me before the season, who's a guy that's like a sleeper – that no one would ever talk about as a sleeper, like Heisman or SEC player of the year type pick. I was like, I think Miko Hardman has that ability. But I was like, I feel like Miko Hardman could have had that ability last year if they would have just not put him on defense for an entire year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because I remember when he was in high school, he only played quarterback. Uh, Nick and I famously went up to watch him play in Granite City. Have you ever been, have you ever been up there to Elberton? Yeah, I actually was working over in Oconee County at the time when he was at Elbert, so I saw him play a couple games. Okay, so they have that stadium that's cut into the rock, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Which is amazing. One of the best high school stadiums in the country, in my opinion, just the way it's set up where it's just lit, the stands are like rocks. Um, but anyway, he never played defense on that team. And then he was a parade All-American at, at DB. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he didn't play defense all season. He played quarterback. Then he came to the Army Bowl, tried to play defense, and got so frustrated that he quit after like two days and was like, nah, even though I'm in the game as a DB, I'm playing wide receiver now. <laughs> so then he went to Georgia, had the same experience. I personally think it shows a lot about Kirby Smart 
one of the things that that Kirby Smart, several of these uh, DB coaches have always said is, look, I like a guy who has ball skills on offense to to switch to DB. I mean, look at uh, the guy on Auburn whose name I can't pronounce, Noah. Uh, Right. He was a great wide receiver. They switch him to DB. All of a sudden, you know, he, he brings that aspect to that side of the ball. That was the thought on Hardman. But but Kirby kind of showing his flexibility where maybe in years past they might have just left him on defense and, and ended up uh, regretting it. They move him to offense. He makes uh, uh, huge plays. And now they have a trio of five stars with Demetrius Robertson, who's, who I have not watched Georgia because all these games have been blowouts. I wanted to watch him last week, but I was working. Um Demetrius Robertson's yet to catch a pass as far as I know, but he got another carry yesterday for 23 yards. It seems like he's just getting a lot of jet sweep stuff at this point, but they have three five-star receivers uh, in him, Terry Godwin and Hardman, and they're loaded. And I expect him to keep rolling. Now it looks like I said they would be undefeated going into the Auburn game. I think the LSU game looms large now as they have to go to Death Valley. Um, big game of the week, Ohio State, uh, TCU. This one was in Arlington at the Cowboys Stadium. Ohio State wins 40-28. to 28. Uh, This was the game of the night. Did you sit down and have a chance to watch this one, Ben? Oh, yeah. It was kind of a crazy game. I mean, after watching the Auburn-LSU game and thinking how weird, of that, how weird that game was as it unfolded, the Ohio State-TCU game ended up being just as weird with TCU having a big lead and then Ohio State, you know, taking a big lead of itself and then TCU kind of making it close there at the end. Obviously Ohio state pulled away, but there, you know, it was a, it was an intriguing game. Yeah. Um, uh, Ohio state, it was kind of back and forth until some, uh, some mistakes by uh, Sean Robinson, who uh, of course led to Gary Patterson blocking Nick on Twitter. As we discussed on the last episode of the podcast, he looked good at times, but he also made some confounding mistakes uh, ben, if you don't know the backstory, Nick famously dropped him to a three-star at the very end of the rankings, uh, much to the chagrin of the TCU fan base. He looks like he's got talent, but those mistakes are hard. to The, the shovel pass that was returned for a touchdown, yeah, that, was a, that, that was a backbreaker. Uh, I do think TCU kind of got jobbed on the fumble in the end zone early in the game. It looked like it should have been a touchback, right? Yep, I agree with that. I mean, there were a couple moments there where TCU – just didn't catch very good breaks. I mean, obviously the shovel pass was bad. The just completely botching the punt, like it's handling the punt was bad. Um, and then, uh, you know, unfortunate for them to, it was a pretty smart kickoff play that they ran. I'd never seen anything like it before. And to not, you know, just barely not execute that was definitely a little bit of a back backbreaker as well. Yeah. That shows your age. That used to be very popular back in like the, I don't oh, really? know, late nineties, there was a lot of teams who would try to do that. There was that one. And then there was the fake, uh, the fake catch where you where one guy on one side of the field would make it look like he was going to catch it when really the ball was going to the other side of the field in an effort to try to fool the, the coverage team. Uh, so those are some old, old school, late nineties. Right. Yeah. Some late nineties tricks there uh, by TCU. Unfortunately didn't work. TCU, I think looked better than, than, uh, than most people expected. They did cover the spread. Uh, but Ohio state personally, in my opinion, you know, now that Urban Meyer's coming back, he, he gave some type of interview this morning to Tom Rinaldi, which I've been seeing all over Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on the show later in the week, but Urban's coming back. I think they're going to keep rolling, especially we saw Wisconsin lose to BYU. I think the path is clear for Ohio state to, uh, to go back to the college football playoffs. So uh, we'll watch that one closely. Oklahoma, 37-27 over Ohio State. 
Now, this game, yeah, you might have been working at this time, so I don't know if you watched it. I, I tend to think that Oklahoma is treading towards uh, LSU territory in terms of me being a little bit nervous about them. Uh, they struggled in this game. Uh, they gave up a ton of yards to to Iowa State, which normally you'd say, hey, well, Iowa State's got a great offense. Well, they were started their backup quarterback, and they only scored – Right. Oh, yeah. Your boy. <laughs> one of I would not say one of my favorite recruits of all time. Okay. Uh, being Frank, as uh, as uh, Zeb and Jameis Williams uh, would love to uh, to pop off about all types of things. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Zeb was a two star for those wondering. <laughs> so he put up put up big numbers for uh, for a two star prospect. But as I mentioned, they only scored three points last week against Iowa, uh, and then they they put up twenty seven against Oklahoma. This game we were we actually were sweating it for a little bit. I think Oklahoma missed Rodney Anderson. That might have had something to do with it. But uh, I don't know. I just for some reason Kyler Murray's obviously an exciting player. You know, tremendous athlete. Uh, I saw a friend of the show Quincy Avery saying he thinks he's better than Baker Mayfield. I'm just a little nervous. I feel like Oklahoma's got, you know, I, their schedule isn't exactly tough, but I feel like they got one game where they're going to get caught up by somebody you don't expect. Might be Oklahoma State, uh, who we'll talk about later. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts? Did you check this one out at all? Yeah, I was working during it, but I mean, I will say, I think I'll give him a pass on this one just because uh, the Rodney Anderson, you know, week one without Rodney Anderson, I think that takes a little bit of a learning curve and I mean their leading rusher ended up being Kyler Murray they didn't have anyone else get over 75 yards I do love watching Kyler Murray play though man he's fun to watch but you look at you know last couple years how many games Baker Mayfield has been able to sort of get Oklahoma out of I mean does Kyler Murray have the ability to do that I mean he's done it so far but it's a pretty small sample size um you know, I think that you're right, though, about the the Big 12. I think there's some slip-up games there this year that maybe weren't there in the past with an you know, Oklahoma State or a TCU or whatever it may be. I think that there's definitely some opportunities for Oklahoma to lose. All right, moving on. Big upset of the day. BYU beats Wisconsin 24-21 in a game that, I mean, this was a shocker to say the least. BYU obviously struggled last season. Um, they don't have a conference. They just kind of fly by the seat of their pants and they come into Wisconsin and break this really long winning streak. It just, they just sort of dominated the game. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to really say what, what happened. I, I actually had this game on the entire time, but I found it so boring that I often would forget because I have like a five TV setup and I would forget that it was one of the games I was watching. Uh, they only had 120 yards passing, 191 yards rushing. So, I mean, you wonder what what, what happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you could come up with a more vanilla matchup than BYU versus Wisconsin. I mean, that is about as vanilla as it gets. But uh, that was another game that was going on during the Auburn LSU game, so I didn't get a ton of opportunity to watch it. Though they did air the uh, game or the you know the missed field goal, they aired that on the Auburn big screen, which you know Auburn fans probably would have wished LSU had done the same. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know Nick texted me, uh, the, kid, the kid's name was Gagalioni, and Nick texted me gag in all caps uh, when he spelled his name out. So, so he, he definitely missed that one as as he uh, as he choked at the end. Jonathan Taylor, uh, presumed Heisman front runner, only had 117 yards, no touchdowns. They kind of held him in check. This is a this is it's tough. You know, BYU obviously used to do this all the time. 
now they appear to be back. Uh, they beat Arizona already this year, and they beat now they beat Wisconsin. They look good. They lost to Cal 21-18, or they'd be 3-0, and and they'd be ranked even higher. I think they'll be ranked when the poll comes out. Tough one for Wisconsin, but obviously this doesn't necessarily kill their chances if they can win the Big Ten with one loss. You never know. They might have a shot at the playoff. Uh, all right, moving on. Vanderbilt and Notre Dame. Oh, Vandy. Oh, so close. I feel like they should have won this game. I was watching this game intently. Yeah, you definitely missed the end of this one Mm -hmm. as you were working. But Vanderbilt, I mean, they had a play where uh, they caught the ball down to the goal line and the guy was kind of stood up trying to get into the end zone. I think this was in the right before halftime. And uh, the Notre Dame player ripped the ball out. It popped up into the air. There was this whole rugby scrum for it. And it ended up being a, a touchback going out of the end zone. And it was just one of those days for Vandy at the end of the game. They look like they're driving. They got a first, you know, last play of the game or last offensive play for them. They throw the ball. The guy catch makes this miracle catch. And when he hits the ground, the ball pops out and they lose. I think Vanderbilt's good, man. I mean, I was going to ask you, did you think this says more about Notre Dame or Vanderbilt? I think here's the thing that I always say about Vanderbilt is under in the uh, Derek Mason era, they have a really good defense. So it's like, if you have a team with a really good defense, you never know who they're capable of beating. But if you look at the back half of their schedule, I mean, if they were playing Tennessee today, I would I would say they would be favored. Really? Um, based on watching the two of them, based on watching Tennessee yesterday, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to lose to Georgia. But Florida, Kentucky, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, they could win any or all of those games, in my opinion. Um so if I'm a Vanderbilt fan, I, I expect to go to a bowl game. You know what? I expect them to give the ball to Keyshawn Vaughn more. He only had 10 carries yesterday for 54 yards and a touchdown. But he just looks he looks special when he has the ball in his hands. You know what I'm saying? He just he has that look of like, okay, you know, this is this is the guy. Uh, in terms of Notre Dame, Wimbush was more effective. Still wasn't great. Uh, you know, 13 of 23 for 122 yards. Speaking of people who complained about the recruiting rankings, Tony Jones Jr. leads the team in rushing. 17 carries for 118 yards. I'm sure his dad will send me those stats uh, <laughs> after the game. Uh, but Vandy, I think this is definitely a moral victory. I had a few people say to me, if Vanderbilt comes in there and they lose something like twenty-four to ten, I think they should they should still be happy. They lose twenty-two to seventeen. So Notre Dame, they're in the mix now. Notre Dame keeps just surviving, advance. They haven't necessarily looked pretty, but uh, you know I still like their chances. Stanford beats UC Davis thirty to twenty, or excuse me, thirty to ten. They played the game without Bryce Love. They're actually losing three to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Look kind of lethargic. They play Oregon next week in the uh, big primetime matchup. College game day will be there. So uh, I don't know. My early leaning is that I think Stanford wins that one, but that's just my gut after watching Oregon. We'll talk about them later. Uh, Washington and Utah. Washington wins 21-7 to in a game filled with mistakes. Did you fall asleep? Did you stay up and watch this one? No, I stayed up and watched that one. I was curious how Washington was going to look. Mm. I felt like Utah could have won if they wouldn't have fumbled every single time that a receiver got a first down. <laughs> it, felt like, it felt like every time they made a positive play, they fumbled. That did. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I'm not, I'm not crazy about Washington. I mean, I saw them two weeks ago or three weeks ago in Atlanta, and I think that they've got some better skill players than I expected them to have. I'm not totally sold on Jake Browning, and the defense is solid, but I don't necessarily view Washington as a top 10 team right now. 
Yeah, and they have to play Stanford and Oregon. And I think I think Browning makes a lot of mistakes. I think if if I were picking uh, Stanford Washington, I would give Stanford the edge right now. Uh, I'm and, with you, and they might have the best chance, especially if they beat Oregon or coming out. Utah actually, uh, you know, it's tough to play at Utah. They, they just can't make they just can't make the mistakes they made. They had three turnovers. Tyler Huntley, twenty of thirty eight for one hundred and thirty eight yards. That's <laughs> three yards uh, an attempt there. Uh, so or, or excuse me, a, a completion, right? Do the math. I think it's three point. I think it's three point six per attempt. Okay, Wh- Not whatever. Good, either way, whatever it is, I don't care what it is. Tyler Huntley, classic Jekyll and Hyde. I texted someone last night during the game as I was uh, falling asleep because I went to bed. I think uh, whatever the la- la- latest turnover was in the third quarter, I was like, I've seen enough of uh, of this game. Tyler Huntley looked exactly like he did in high school, where he'd make a great play one play and the next play just make a really confusing. Uh, mistake. So Utah, I think, still probably has a great chance at playing in that Pac-12 title game, even though they lost one here. Uh, Penn State, 63-10 to 10 over Kent State. They got off to a slow start. Trace McSorley running all over the place, had five touchdowns. Uh, they continue to roll, and I think Ohio State should be uh, paying close attention to them. I think when they play that game again this year, it's going to be great. Uh, Mississippi State, 56-10 to 10 over Louisiana, which what do you call uh, – I was in Louisiana last week, and I asked – an alum of this school, what they were called, because I always thought it was, you know, we always called it ULL. Now they just want to be called Louisiana. Yeah. And I've always just referred to it as Louisiana Lafayette because, you know, I think, I mean, maybe it's my dumb brain, but I think of, you know, Louisiana Monroe, Louisiana Lafayette. Like I can't just call one of them Louisiana, but I mean, well, here's what makes me mad. I went to UCF. I don't know if you knew that or not, but ESPN just calls them Louisiana now, and they continue to just call UCF Central Florida. Like if if ULL has decided it wants to be called Louisiana, and they just tell ESPN, and they're like, "Okay, cool." Meanwhile, UCF goes undefeated last year, and uh, they still got C, the C Florida treatment on the old ticker. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't realize that UCF was uh, that they wanted to, or that they wanted to be called UCF. I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't even aware. Nobody wants to be called. They don't want to be called Central Florida. Um, they 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 want to go by the old uh, the old uh, acronym there. All right, moving on. Oklahoma State, Boise State, forty four twenty one. This was the surprise of the day for me. Take out BYU. I was watching this game. And Boise State had two punts blocked. I mean, the, the, it just looked like a very uncharacteristic Boise State game. Uh, people expected him to go in there on the road and win. And, and Oklahoma State, you know, whose quarterback uh, has taken his share of uh, hits so far in the season, he ends up finishing, you know, with 243 yards, scored two touchdowns running, even though he is definitely not the most uh, fleet of foot. This one, this one was a shocker for me. I think was this, this was a noon game, so you probably got to see some of it, right? Yeah, I did. I like what I've seen from Oklahoma State in the short viewing windows that I've gotten of them this year. Uh, I mean, Boise State. I mean, I know I don't know how much you can really play this, you know, trans, you know, transitive property game, but Boise State beating Troy and then Troy looking pretty good against uh, Nebraska. I don't know how good Nebraska is, but for Oklahoma State to do something like that to Boise came as a little bit of a surprise to me. But yeah, I like what I've seen from Oklahoma State. Um, I like their quarterback. You know, I don't know. I was surprised with Boise State. I mean, they threw the ball like 60 times almost for almost 400 yards. I don't know how they only scored 21 points. It was, yeah, well, and the the uh, I mean, it's the amazing they can't punt the ball. I mean, I I really 
Uh, they got two punts. That was really the difference in the game. If you look at it, you take away 14 points, it's 21 to 30. But it was just yeah, – they just they were kind of stuck in the mud. They never really got going. Uh, I, I, it was a it was a confusing game. But guess what? You know, Oklahoma State should be very happy. People were picking them to finish middle of the road. All of a sudden, they're 3-0. and They're going to be ranked well inside the top 20. And uh, now I think – you got to circle that game with Oklahoma as uh, if they can move the ball on Boise State, who who, who really has a good defense. Um, you know, I, I think that's that should be encouraging if you're a Cowboys fan. Uh, Michigan beats SMU 45 to 20 in a very ugly game. This is one I checked in on. You kind of kept expecting Michigan to pull away and, and blow them out. And, you know, SMU kind of hung around. I think it was 21 to 13 in the third quarter at some point. Shea Patterson, 14 of 18 for three touchdowns. He seems to be getting more comfortable with his wide receivers. I, I continue to say that losing Tariq Black was huge for them. Uh, SMU played two, three quarterbacks, or they had three people throw passes at least. I noticed they Ben Hicks got benched and William Brown came in and kind of gave him a different aspect. I'm still worried about Michigan. I, I don't know. I really don't know how good Michigan is. Yeah, I mean, SMU is pretty bad this year. I mean, they've gotten blitzed in all three games that they've played this season, including one to North Texas, who Arkansas found out the hard way is a pretty good football team. Um, but, you know, I I, I, I think that Shea Patterson is going to have to work through some things. I'm right there with you. I think losing Tariq Black was a huge loss and something. One of the more untalked about losses in college football, probably. Um, just in terms of Shea Patterson trying to get familiarity with that wide receiver group, and I think the world of T- Tariq Black. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know if you can really have any takeaways from a 45-20 win over SMU. Yeah, uh, it, I'm still nervous if I'm Michigan. I just think uh, they don't have the type of offense to really blow teams out of the water anyway, but uh, it was not uh, it was not exciting, that's for sure. All right, Oregon, speaking of not exciting, Oregon beats San Jose State 35-22. to You know, sometimes I'll put a game on on these uh, five TV setup and I'll be like, yeah, let me watch the first quarter. You know, Oregon will be up 28, nothing. I'll see how they look. And then you end up you're the third quarter and it's like a 20 to 14 game. And you're like, how is mm-hmm. this? Why is this still on? Uh, that was one of those games. Oregon can't run the ball, which is crazy. If you think about, you know, their history of, of having great running backs uh, and the combination of Mario Cristobal pushing that we're going to run it more on the offensive line. They once again, struggle, Let's see what, what the final numbers were. 49 carries for 134 yards, 2.7 yards per carry against San Jose State. You want to talk about not being a world beater. Um, that's rough. And I think that's why I really – obviously, it was probably a look-ahead situation with Stanford coming to town next weekend. But, I mean, you, they don't have any – but through three games, three cupcakes, you know, they're averaging 4.7 yards a carry as a team. And one of those games was against the FCS team. So, I'm a little nervous about the Ducks, Ben. No, I mean, I agree. I mean, I do like Justin Herbert. Um, I haven't gotten to see a ton of him this year, so I think next you know, next week against Stanford will be a, a very telling game just in terms of what he actually is and what he can bring to Oregon. But if you're not running the football, I mean, I don't know how much he's going to be able to do either. Yeah, they lead. I think they lead the nation in terms of different players who have scored touchdowns. I saw that stat yesterday. Herbert's great. The pro- the problem is the receivers can't catch. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you look, I, I don't think they keep drop stats for for college. But I mean, he, his completion percentage is at fifty six point eight. It probably should be about sixty sixty five. Uh, so if if they could catch the ball, he threw a couple picks yesterday too. So I don't know. I'm 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 wary. Consider me wary 
uh, of the Ducks headed into that game against Stanford, especially with how good Stanford's defense has looked. Uh, Miami messes around with Toledo for a while. They end up winning 49 to 24 in a game that was at Toledo. You know, does it, what does it say about Miami's athletic department situation where they continue? you know, we had this situation with Arkansas state a couple of years ago where the hurricane canceled the game and it was, I think they're still in court suing each other over it. Why are they playing these games at these random teams? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of want, I know there were a couple athletic departments a couple years back that were doing like two for ones where you would come to them twice and, or like the big school would, you'd come to the big school twice and then the big school would go play your place once. But I really have no idea. I honestly, until you said that, I did not realize that they had played at Toledo. So that's weird. <laughs> right. You see these games, you're like, what, what are you doing playing at this school? Uh, it has to be a money situation. You know, that turnover chain cost a hundred grand. I mean, yeah, true. <laughs> It's not going to pay you can't for it. Can't be giving out million dollar payouts when you've got a million dollar turnover chain. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Texas beats USC thirty seven to fourteen. This one wasn't even that close. It was ugly. JT Daniels actually had three hundred yards passing. Did not throw a touchdown. Amon Ross St. Brown continues to look like uh, an animal. He had a huge game, but talk about not being able to run the ball. Sixteen carries for negative five yards. Now that that includes sacks, but Stephen Carr six carries for thirteen yards. I heard someone say this past week that Stephen Carr was, you know, 95% of Ronald Jones or something like that. Well, I, I don't know, man. Uh, I think U.S. season for a long year. What, what, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I bought into USC at the beginning of the year, too. I, re- I thought that JT Daniels, even though he was, you know, a true freshman, I thought that he was going to do some special things. I'm honor St. Brown is a freak of nature, but. I think that I'm maybe like a year or two too early on how I felt about USC, and I regret that one. Yeah, those two guys are good, but some, sometimes when you have a quarterback, as we see, obviously based on his early NFL results, Darnold is awesome. A, a senior quarterback or an experienced quarterback who's really talented can cover up so many flaws for a team. Uh, we saw it the year after you know uh, Cam Newton left. We saw it the year after Mariota left, and I think we're getting some of that here from uh, from USC where – Daniels might have covered up a lot of the blemishes that are now coming to show. And now all of a sudden, you know, USC fans don't like, don't like, uh, Clay Helton. Um, they, they just don't like him. I don't, I don't know why, but it seems like they want him you out. Know, I, saw, I saw something on Twitter a couple of days ago. There was like a photo of Clay Helton and it was like, do any of you guys know who this is? And it was like, it was a poll and there was like 88% of the vote was people had no idea who it was. And these were college football fans. And, I, it's just Clay Helton is just like a guy that's USC's coach. It's like this is Southern Cal that we're talking about. And I feel like Clay Helton is kind of just like a regular guy. Yeah, it does help his case that Chip Kelly's doing so bad at, yeah, <laughs> true. at USC because Chip Kelly would be the king. Although I, th- I think if Chip Kelly had the talent at USC, things might be different. Um, so so I, I don't know. It was uh, – it's it's not good. Guess what? Texas fans, don't be too excited. USC is not that good. I think Texas is still in for a slog as well. Um, the late night game, this one I did definitely did not stay up for. I had Dave Barry text me. I said, text me the final score so when I wake up, I don't have to fumble with the app. San Diego State beats uh, Arizona State 28-21. to 21, uh, And this was uh, – there was a controversial play late in the game. There was a targeting. Did you see the, the last – like 30 seconds of this i watched it this morning yeah so i was uh, i was actually at the bar when this was happening and so i was watching it on tv and don't totally know what was unfolding but i know that there was 
the catch like right there at the one that he ended up not catching, but really it was targeting. I mean, I, I don't total, I still don't totally know exactly what happened, but I was watching it. So I sort of have an idea of what weird things were unfolding. <laughs> so, so the guy goes up and catches the ball, but he gets targeted, right? I mean, he gets, he really gets leveled in a, in a, in a true ejection that, that, that guy definitely deserves to be suspended for the entire next game, let alone the first half. The ball kind of comes out. In my opinion, watching it, I didn't think it was necessarily clear that the ball really came out. I think it still could have been called a catch, but because he tar- because he just basically committed a flagrant penalty, it resulted in instead of Arizona State having the ball in the one yard line with six seconds left, it was a fifteen yard penalty, and so they still had to throw a hail mary, which was then knocked down. Um, I think that's sort of exploiting the the rules, in my opinion. I, I know there's a rule in the NFL, and I think they said it was in college this year, where you can't just blatantly hold on the last play of the game to get a penalty to then like run out the clock. You know, uh, it, it, I think this was a blatant penalty on purpose to cause the incompletion, and it worked. And instead of having a 50 yard pass, you know, you get a you get a 15 yard penalty. So I think Arizona State kind of got jobbed on that one a little bit. Uh, this is like San Diego State beats a Pac-12 team every year, and I think if they were in the conference, they would win four or five. I, I, I think they'd be much better than like Oregon State, don't you? Oh, I agree. I mean, every they're the one team every year that they like when they pop up on you know when I'm looking at lines and stuff like that. Like I'm always I'm intrigued by San Diego State because they seem to always have one or two of these every single year. Um, and they'd probably recruit at a higher level if they were able to get into the Pac-12 as well. I think it would be a pretty good fit. Yeah, but uh, instead, instead, I think the barriers closed there for them. They, mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to the, the old Pac- – even though, you know, I bought – this is a funny story. When it was rumored that Texas and all those schools were going to leave the Big 12 to join the Pac-10 and make it the Pac-16, I bought like every domain name. I bought Pac-16, Pac-16.com, you know, Pac-16 football. I bought like 20 domain names in an effort because I was thinking I was going to have the Pac-12 or Pac-10 over a barrel. Uh, That would have been great. I mean, hey, if you keep coming up with enough domain names, you'll hit eventually. Well, I lost because then they just got two teams and uh, and I came out out empty-handed, sadly. Uh, Let's do a quick look ahead to next week. Uh, games we're, we're interested in. UCF plays FAU on Friday night. Man, it's too bad I'm going to be at a, a high school game. That probably would be fun to watch. Yeah, that would. I'm, I probably will try and find a way to watch that, or at least I'll record it. Uh, yeah, we mentioned Stanford at Oregon. I think this is going to be a crazy environment. Uh, it's going to be a night game. Uh, I guess it'll be 5 o'clock Central, but I think it starts to get dark uh, earlier and earlier this time of year uh, out in Oregon. Uh there's the, you know, it's a slim pickings, Texas, A&M, Alabama. I think we expect Alabama to win easily there. Uh, TCU, Texas. It's, it's, it's a, it's a weak week next week. Arizona state, Washington, as of now, the only teams that, we, that are ranked, but that's going to change when Arizona state falls out of the, the line of you. Have you looked at next week's slate? You got any games, uh, that you're excited? You got, yeah, a- I'm looking at them right now. I mean, I'm interested about, about TCU, Texas, just because, you know, I, TCU impressed me. Yes, despite losing, they they impressed me yesterday, and I haven't gotten to see a lot of Texas this year just because I was, you know, I wasn't getting to watch much of that Texas uh, Maryland game at the beginning of the year, and then I didn't get to watch much of Texas USC yesterday. So um, I'll be, uh, I'll definitely be trying to pay attention to that one. And then uh, you know, Washington Arizona State. 
Uh, I'm very curious about this Herm Edwards experiment. And obviously yesterday, sort of, like you said, they may have gotten jobbed a little bit, but, you know, a top 10 matchup for them. Uh, I'm just curious to see how, how they actually look. Yeah, Notre Dame, Wake Forest might be fun. Wake Forest, I think, gets their quarterback back. I'd be interested to see if they stick with him. Actually, you know what? It put Georgia, Georgia and Missouri might be fun, don't you think? So I was actually going to say that as well. I didn't want to feel like I was just like pressing the panic button for Georgia or anything like that. But if you look at Georgia's season last year, they, I mean, the first half against Missouri, I mean, they were, Drew Locke was able to slice up Georgia's defense pretty well. And obviously, Georgia ran away with it in the second half, but. An eleven o'clock game, you know, in Columbia, Missouri. It could, it could get interesting. Yeah, I fully expect uh, Georgia to win. But you mentioned they're going on the road. Weird things happen. You got that weird camera angle when you watch the game. When you watch the game <laughs> at Missouri, I don't know what it, it feels like. You're closer to the action, right? Or it's like lower. It's not. It's a different level, isn't it? When you watch the games on TV at Missouri. Yeah, I can't put my finger on what it is, like what the vantage point difference is, but it definitely, like when you're watching it and you turn on a Missouri game at Missouri and you turn it on, you immediately know you're watching a Missouri game. Right, it's always been that way, dated back to like the James Franklin era. Uh, James Franklin, the quarterback, not the uh, not the coach. So yeah, that might that one might be fun. And they can pass the ball. They're going to test. Georgia's got some young corners. Uh, obviously, DeAndre Baker is very good, but uh, I think you know they. I think they're playing Tyson Campbell. On the other side, who's yep. a true freshman, uh, five star. So he will be tested with all these receivers that I rank too low that play for Missouri, who were five, five, three stars, who are now going to be NFL draft picks. <laughs> so right. uh, big shout to uh, Coach uh, Ofadial, I believe is how you say his name, the receivers coach at Missouri, who uh, consistently tells me I rank players too low. Uh, so big shout to him all right that wraps it up ben uh where can we find you on twitter i don't know your twitter handle off the top of my head because i guess what i haven't followed you for that long i don't know if you know that yeah i just noticed that i picked up a follow from you a couple weeks ago i mean i guess i had to start at rivals to you know finally establish myself in the woody womack world but you can follow me on twitter at benjamin wolk w-o-l-k yeah, well, guess what? There are co-hosts of this podcast that I actually blocked. I don't know if you've ever listened to our show, but we have a character named Dave Lackford, who is uh, basically our Carl Pilkington. Uh, which that's a deep reference if if you don't, if you're not a fan of British comedy. But uh, I had to block Dave on Twitter because he kept sending me clips of Rondale Moore, uh, who had a controversial ranking last year, and he's a co-host of the podcast, and, and he got blocked. So uh, you never know. But uh, I'm glad to be yeah, following. Nobody's you. safe. I'm glad we work at the same place uh you know you when we first met i think it was uh at alabama mississippi it might have been a couple years ago and you said uh you found me uh humorous which is all it takes uh to win my favor is to say that you you (laughs) enjoy my attitude so we i appreciate it ben thanks for coming on thanks for being patient we want to tell everyone leave a review on itunes tell a friend eventually we'll we'll get a host on sunday of a team that won a game and then that audience will listen and will grow the show because guess what? We can't even tell the Auburn fans to listen to this because they're going to be like, I don't want to hear about that game anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking that because I went back and we'll listen last week and I heard that you had the South Carolina guy on. And then I was thinking that as the game was unfolding yesterday, I was like, man, 
Woody just can't catch a break on this. Yeah, and guess who we had week one? We had uh, Brandon Brown on from our Michigan side after they lost to oh, Notre Dame. Of course. <laughs> so <laughs> we are three to three for three. So uh, guess what? I'm probably going to be probably going to be someone from the Georgia site next week. So uh, if you want to, if, if, oh, if you're making upset your, alert, yeah, exactly. If you're making your picks, I'm going to try to get uh, Jake Roos on the show. Uh, maybe if not, we might have to reach out to the Pac-12 and and find somebody from out there. But they don't want to get up early in the morning to. Record with me so anyway that well that wraps it up thanks a lot ben we'll be back on thursday with our typical episode with me and nick and perhaps rob cassidy uh, back from the abyss we'll find out awesome thanks Lee.